Okay. All right, Mara, say a thing. Hello, I'm Mara. I am here in Tamara's house with Grace. We're going to talk about men on boats. That opens tonight. Okay. Check Grace. it out. Check it out. Grace, go ahead. Hi, I'm Grace. I'm also here in Tamara's house <laughs> doing the same thing. We are getting ready to record a podcast. Uh, yes, we are. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. No men, no boats, all fun. Or all badassery, depending on who you ask. In this episode, I'm talking with Tori Grace Nichols and Mara Thomas, two of the ten actors in Men on Boats by Jacqueline Backhouse, playing February 8th through 24th, 2019, produced by Justice Theatre Project. There are some really top-notch people associated with this production, and you'll recognize some of the cast and crew members from previous Artist Soapbox podcast episodes. Faye Goodwin, Jessica Fleming, Johanna Burwell, Katie Coop, and of course, Mara Thomas. So get out there and see this before it closes. Ticket links are in the show notes. Seven years ago, I can't believe it was that long. <laughs> I acted in an adaptation of Shakespeare's Richard II, produced by Little Green Pig Theatrical Concern. This adaptation was titled Richie, and it was created for a cast of women, 19 of us. My character's name was Haley Bolingbroke. So, as a cast, we were women speaking the words and doing the deeds created for men to speak and do. My character, Haley, was originally Henry. As an actor, inhabiting this Haley, formerly Henry role gave me access to aspects of power, leadership, and masculinity that I hadn't lived before. The permission to take up space, to stand in my power, to exist without apology, to be a king. I'd never felt anything like it before, and this embodiment had a profound impact on my acting and playwriting from that point forward. I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to experience that. If you're curious, I'll include a link in the show notes to a seven-year-old blog post that I wrote about it. It's a little funny to read it now. It's <laughs> it's. Kind of gushing, but you'll get a sense of what I mean and who I was seven years ago. Now, my experience in Ritchie is not a direct comparison to the ensemble's experience in Men on Boats, and you'll hear why that is in this conversation. But it was, for me, a significant moment of a particular type of gender exploration. And to use Tori Grace's words, it served to crack open my awareness. Now, two more items before we jump into this conversation. First, I thought it might be helpful to define a few terms for those who might be unfamiliar with them. Cisgender, often abbreviated to simply cis, is a term for people whose gender identity matches the sex that they were assigned at birth. Gender queer is denoting or relating to a person who does not subscribe to conventional gender distinctions but identifies with neither, both, or a combination of male and female genders. 
Obviously, you are welcome to Google all of this and educate yourself if you have any questions, and I strongly encourage you to do so. Secondly and finally, the bios of these two fine folks. Tori Grace Nichols is a multidisciplinary performance artist new to the Triangle. They have been training at the Ward Acting Studio since last year. They are a member of the drag family House of Cox and a cultural organizer for Southerners on New Ground. They are adopted from the Philippines and grew up overseas on military bases. Tori Grace identifies as queer and genderqueer and uses they-them pronouns. Mara Thomas is an actor, writer, musician, and teaching artist based in Durham. For Artist Soapbox, yay! She blogs monthly and co-facilitates workshops focused on creative accountability and functional feedback. Mara is currently working on an original script, Year of the Monkey, which will be produced at the Tank NYC in June 2019. A local musician for over 15 years, these days Mara makes noise in the punk groups Bandage and Cold Cream. I had a blast talking with Tori Grace and Mara. Enjoy the episode. Mara, Tori Grace, thank you so much for being here today to talk about Men on Boats. So Men on Boats is opening tonight, actually, the day that we are recording this, and it runs from February 8th to 24th. It is a play written by Jacqueline Backhouse, and this production is directed by Jules Odendahl-James for Justice Theatre Project. So just to give our listeners some context, Men on Boats is based on the book The Exploration of the Colorado River and Its Canyons by John Wesley Powell, a one-armed major adventurer and explorer and his eclectic crew. You are part of his eclectic crew? Yes, we are. Okay, would you tell me who you are? Sure. Um, I play William Dunn. I'm actually a boatmate of John Wesley Powell, so that's another... <laughs> we not More prestige. Only, yes, yeah. we not only have our... We're all a, a, a cohesive cast, but even our little boats. Mm. Um, so I play William Dunn. I am along on the trip because I have a lot of experience hunting and trapping and, you know doing manly things mm-hmm. like rowing boats down rivers. That seems like that would come in handy if you're in the, on the Colorado River. I would think so, <laughs> yes. I play uh, John Colton Sumner. We are we are boatmates, yes, on the Emma Jean. And I am a former military person, observed some time, and then current explorer. And Mara shared with me, what are your pronouns? She, her. Great. Um, yeah, Mart had shared with me through her research that we are the more experienced sort of survivalist type mm-hmm. of people. And um, John Wesley Powell is more of a geologist. And so what was it? They, we called him a panty waist. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're <laughs> sort of where he gets all of the sort of fame and glory later. But we sort of guided him in the in the true story through this expedition. Mm. So the tagline for this production is no men, no boats, all badassery. Let's start with the no men part. Um, As you mentioned, John Wesley Powell and his crew are real people. They're real dudes who existed back in the 19th century, and they explored the Colorado River in 1860. 
nine. And Tori Grace, you mentioned that John Wesley Powell has gotten a lot of the glory from this expedition and things have been named after him, like a lake and a peak and buildings and a ward, a town. I even found uh, a mineral called Powellite named after John Wesley Powell, which is an unusual Mm -hmm. legacy, I guess, to leave behind. So (laughs) these were historical figures, but in the case of this production and in all productions of men on boats, the casting is done in a historically inaccurate way. There are 10 actors in the cast, and none of them are cisgender white males. And what audience members may not know is that the casting request is baked into the play. So the playwright actually wrote um, in the script a note, a casting note that reads, mm-hmm. quote, the characters in Men on Boats were historically cisgender white males the cast should be made up entirely of people who are not. I'm talking about racially diverse actors who are female-identifying, trans-identifying, gender-fluid, and or non-gender conforming. And that's the end of that quote. I'm curious, how did you experience that script note written by Jacqueline Backhouse when you first read it? So I'm new to the triangle, and um, I think I'd signed up for the Justice Theater Project email list or something like that. And I was really excited to see a casting call with those specifications that was surprising and really refreshing. And so I appreciated that type of intentionality, and I was excited to uh, be a part of a show that um, has some more of that awareness um, around gender. Similarly, I love the idea that these are real people. You can look them up. They're in a book or on the internet. You can read a little bit about them. But the fact that they're being played by people who are vastly different than them fundamentally makes it, you bring a different energy to it. It, You embody that character in a different way. And Jules was very, Jules really encouraged us to be you. We're not, you know, people had asked, should we try to sound like men? Should we try to move like men? She said, no. Be, your, be you playing this person, you know, bring yourself to it. I'm not interested in seeing women acting like men. And I think there have been other productions of the show where they had them in a fake beard or something. And like, that's not really the point. The point is, these are women, gender nonconforming people, trans people playing cisgender white men. Mm-hmm. And how do we as, as actors and performers and, and how does the audience view that differently? I'd say, especially in a moment where you know, really starting to talk in like bigger mainstream about how white cis men get to do everything, get away with everything. Um, I feel like there's lots of conversations on who gets to play what roles connected to identity. So it's nice to see that power flip where it's like, no, we're going to get that role. We're going to have that role. Because one thing I thought about was it says historically inaccurate, which I think is an okay framing. But for me, it feels like more like counter narrative as far as like, we've we, our stories are also accurate. They're also true historically. They just never get told. Mm. You know, there's an allusion to it in the play of like, many people have run these rapids before as the native folks, as the people who were deserters of the war. So like, yeah, and those native folks were also women and were also like queer folks. Um, but we never get to tell those stories. So it's it's really nice to just be like, for me, it's just like, we. this is actually our story. These are actually the story of many of us for a very long time. Mm. And you get to live it out though. In yes. front of other people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do some fun performative gender stuff. So that's mm-hmm. that's fun for me too. Can you talk about the fun performative gender stuff? <laughs> Jules' direction has been around, yes, be yourself. And there are some, because there is um, this sort of power flip and sort of this commentary on gender, there are 
places of quote unquote performed masculinity and this like I'd say particularly scenes between maybe Dunn and Sumner there's lots of avoiding emotions and just like whatever we're just gonna row this (laughs) this, just keep rowing just keep rowing (laughs) right and uh, we're not gonna I'm not gonna I'm gonna give you a bro hug but that's it (laughs) yeah So yeah, I think it's 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 fun to to sort of have a commentary on that in the ways that like we perceive masculinity, we perceive we perceive femininity or other gender expressions is just to just be it. And what would happen if we were just rowing down a river as people? So there's a, a nuanced question here that I'd like to to explore, and that is having to do with the difference between taking a play that was written for a certain people, like in this case, it might be cisgender white guys, and then having the production kind of place, uh, and I'm using air quotes here, like a gimmick on top of it, saying like, you know, I know this play, I know this was like an all male Shakespeare play, but now we're going to put women in it. What is the difference between that and a play that was specifically written for a wider spectrum of people? Is there a difference there? Do you think, or does it feel the same? Yeah, I think. Perhaps the difference may be the intentionality Mm -hmm. that feels about right as far as perhaps before it was sort of a gimmick of like, oh, look at this funny thing, Mm -hmm. which is some of like through the grapevine, people are still kind of baffled by this. They're trying to figure it out. It's called Men on Boats, but there aren't any men on it. Mm -hmm. And people are still kind of confused by that. So, you know, perhaps before where it's like, yeah, this funny gimmicky thing, this is like this is just real. This is just people getting to be people sort of stating that we are aware of, of gender and gender representation and who, um, if we have a sort of power analysis to it, whose story gets told. Mm -hmm. So I think it's that sort of intentional circumventing of, of that, of the, of the mainstream stories that get told and saying, um, we're going to tell a different story. Because the, because of the casting note, and because of the way that Jacqueline built this play, gender is really at, it's baked in. It's like really at the forefront. It's like, we are, we are looking at this as part of this play. And in my, my experience of seeing a production at NC State was that because it was so much of the story, it became not as much of the story. Do you understand what I mean? Yes. Like, I was like, oh, right, look, look at who's on stage. And then 10 minutes later, I wasn't thinking about that anymore. It, it was really interesting kind of something that was at first very almost opaque became very translucent and I was just carried along. I think for me there's an element with men on boats that there's a satire to it that isn't present you know for example the Richie which Mm -hmm. was the like all female all woman production of Richard II you know men on boats has an element of satire where the cast members we don't have to do any winking at the audience. Right. We're like, wink, wink. You know, we're not really men. Mm-hmm. It's we're asking you to accept us as these characters. And then maybe that's going to rattle around in your mind for a little while, even after the production of I need to think about. Why is know, that important? Why is that? Why is that important? And, mm-hmm. you know, for something like a, a cro- cross casting of a classic or some other play, I think that's where you get into the more of the subtext of how do we view a king differently played by a woman versus a man how 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 does that shape our perception of who this person is you know versus this where i think it's 
more blatant satire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I read a really nice interview with Jacqueline Beckhouse and Summer Banks on HowlRound.com. And I'll put the link in the show notes for this. But they're discussing how refreshing it can be to have historical inaccuracy in the casting. And so that links kind of what we've been talking about with some things that um, Tori Grace has mentioned already. Jacqueline says, quote, If we were forced to keep to that sort of accuracy in the mainstream of history, we would really only be learning the stories of a select few individuals. It would just limit our scope entirely. One thing that I hope this show is able to do for people is make them wonder about that just by virtue of who is cast in it. Because this story does still fall into white male history, I hope that it serves as a gateway for people to start wondering what else there is to learn. I want my show to be the gateway drug or one of the gateway drugs to get people interested in telling the stories of people that we don't get to hear from. So Hamilton is an easy comparison to make here with Men on Boats, not only with the casting, but also with questions around who is telling the, quote, story of history, whose history this is, what stories are being told, etc. And I know that Jules has incorporated this idea of hist- history under construction into the design. Would someone like to talk about that part? Sure. I think, one, that's a beautiful intention from the writer. And then I love the way that our show is being set up as well. It's sort of it's set up like a natural history museum exhibit. And if you were to go to a natural history museum, sometimes they have like figurines of the explorers or whoever, and it's predominantly white cis men. So what if we were to go into a natural history museum and see folks who are women, queer, genderqueer, folks of color, And that's the story that's being told. Um, So they try to work backwards in that sense. And I'm really excited to to see how that plays out um, through our performances and audiences' reactions and all that. And I think it's such a smart way, you know, I love Hamilton, so I'm a big Hamilton (laughs) nerd. And and once I did read that note, who tells your story? I was like, that's it. That's that's the thing. Who to and that's such an easy thing for people to latch on to of Think about this when you're in here. Who who gets to tell the story? And you know, even this the story of this expedition is often boiled down to John Wesley Powell. Well, there were nine other people that that didn't get their face on a stamp or you know in a book or work for the government. You know, they a lot of them did not go on to have very good lives, and they're sort of lost to history. So even even those people who actually did the work, he was a Powell had one arm. He couldn't have done this by himself. But the, the people on the expedition, they're, they're lost to history in many cases. And I'd say one more thing is that it's a really nice, sort of like was mentioned, a really nice stepping stone into thinking about um, thinking about these things. I'd say, you know, a sort of something that might be a disservice is to say, oh, well, gender doesn't matter. You know, anybody can do this, um, which is true, but that's not the world we live in. If it were, then we wouldn't have shows like this mm-hmm. that have to actually point out how, like the gender inequity and that folks' stories um, around all types of identities don't get to be told. I also very much like this idea that seems obvious. History is in the past, but we are telling these stories in the present, right? So we are building, in a sense, the history by giving access to all groups of people and and making sure that they get represented. It's not that it didn't happen. It's not that everyone didn't have a history because, of course, we all did. But we are building our cultural and societal understanding of what happened there in an active way. 
I really like this idea that we are continuing to build, that we have ownership over, we can take ownership over this moving forward. So that was kind of the boats part. Actually, let's talk about the boats. No boats. No boats. <laughs> no boats. No boats. Okay, called men on boats. No men, no boats. <laughs> All right. So why are there no boats? What, <laughs> what does that mean, right. no boats? I Well, I one, I think it, it helped for, um, you know, it helped assist a, a nice tagline <laughs> for the show. Let's be real. Let's be real. Let's be real. I will say a, a different commentary on um, this sort of no boats, no men, no boats tagline. It is nice. And we are fortunate that we don't have any male identifying people in our cast. So if we were to be trans inclusive, but the no boats bit, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, it was just part of Jules's vision and it seemed um, sort of wonderful to just have more of like an embodied experience, sort of an actualization experience of being on this rapid, then having to kind of like deal with actual big clunky props or something so like that. So they're imaginary. Oh yes. 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 Okay. We are we we make them with our 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 bodies. Well, we don't make the boats, but we are are giving the audience the impression that we are in boats and um um really embodying that experience. And perhaps that lends to the imagination and creativity of the whole show. Because there's no river. I mean, it's all imaginary, exactly. right? So you know. why, I mean, where do we draw right. the line? Right. <laughs> we have to have real boats, but we don't have to have a river. I mean, you know, it seems like once you open the door into creative imagination and mm-hmm. embodiment, like you might as well just make the whole thing up. Like that's what we're doing up there yes. after all. Exactly. Yeah. Well, just if you can suspend your disbelief about we're we're not on the Colorado River. We aren't actually going over a waterfall. Like this is theater, people. Like use your imagination. Look at the beautiful lights. Look at the be- the set and the lights do so much to help set this atmosphere that we're in. That well, the the <laughs> actual boat is not going to necessarily add to that. Right. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if anything, it might be a hindrance. And then you have to deal with a boat, which yeah, as an right. actor is like, uh. Say what? Yes. <laughs> okay, so the badassery piece. All badassery. What's it like to play Explorers on the Colorado River? It's fun. It's a really good time. I've had a really good time with this show. You know, I don't know if it's us specifically um, done in Sumner's characters or who Mar and I are as actual people, but it 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 feels at home to me. Like, I I'm having a great time just being out and exploring. Same for me. I had to really chuckle to myself when I got cast as Dunn, who is listed as Hunter Trapper. And I'm like, you don't even know. Like, you don't even know who my family is, like where I come from. I actually didn't. That apple did not fall (laughs) near that tree. But let's just suffice it to say that there are a lot of stuffed animal heads in the Thomas household. So um, it was fun to say or, you know, so as I'm, you know, thinking about building my character, that this this is in me because it was in the people that I come from, mm-hmm. like very directly. I've only seen production stills of the show that you are in, and looking at the physicality of the characters on stage. Obviously, there's a lot of choreography that has to do with rowing boats and going down the rapids and over the falls and all of that sort of thing. But when I was looking at the photos, I noticed that the physicality of a lot of the actors that I know pretty well is different from what I normally see from them on stage. And so I'm curious about a couple of things. I'm curious about how you built your characters and about something to do with knowing that you're playing 
a character that you might not normally be cast in, a role you might not normally be cast in, if it opened some other avenues of expression that you didn't have access to on stage before? Well, we are fortunate that these are real people. So there was, um, you know, some of us could actually find their sort of their Wikipedia page or whatever, wherever they were featured in whatever historical books. So we could really take off take note of their actual lives and who they were as people. Um, Jacqueline Backhouse also, you know, scripts very concisely and beautifully kind of who these people are in a way that also allows the actor to, to make the character. For Sumner, um, perhaps similarly, I directly and personally don't have any military experience, but I did grow up on military bases. And so I have strong awareness of military disposition, military experience. Um, And my read on Sumner is a sort of quiet, mysterious person who has a lot of feelings. Um, We've we've, um, sort of labeled uh, the uh, astrological sign of all of them. Really? (laughs) We've done a whole breakdown. That's for real. That's that's, that's been fun. Yes, that's been fun. That is so funny. Yes. So... um, (laughs) Our our deduction, predominantly mine, I suppose, is that Sumner is a Scorpio like me. And just, <laughs> um, How illuminating. Yes. Um, just, yeah, quiet and intense. Reading, reading him throughout the, the script, um, to me, has had sort of a, I described to the cast, a sort of Ron Swanson disposition from Parks and Rec and just kind of dry. And then recently, through continuing to work, you know, through his his presence. Um, he's a mansplainer. He's, and so it's, that's one thing, the sort of like direct kind of arrogant tone has been an adaptation for me. That has been fun. Mm. It's, it's always fun to play the, the things that you aren't, or you don't perceive yourself to be. Um, and the physicality, I also perform drag. So I don't know. I'm curious, you know, I am curious to see what, my experience with performative gender, how it plays into this, you know, it, is it, is it different from, is it noticeably different? Does it need to be different from how others are being present in this show? But there's a lot that, that I've just been able to just embody and just be that I feel aligned with both me and Sumner. And for me, I think I would say, thinking about the physicality of speaking for myself and perhaps, you know, this is the experience for other actors too being pretty has never crossed my mind. Being like graceful in a like quote unquote feminine way has never entered my mind. It's like, I'm rowing a boat. I need to row this boat over this rapid. And I have to do that in a convincing way and a way that feels real and, you know, hoisting this boat and lifting it. And I I don't, it's been really until you said that, I didn't think about how, maybe in a different context, I would move my body in a different way. But this is the show that we're in. And it's very physical. And another comment that Jules had made at one point was we all row a little differently because of our different body shapes and and who we are as people. And she's like, but you're all doing the same thing. But everybody has their own take on it, which is, I think, so great. And thinking about Dunn, who I think is Leo and there's maybe has some some Virgo elements to him, according to Jules, resident Virgo. Um, but he definitely wants to be the center of attention. I feel like he gives me an opportunity to do some sort of show-offiness, grandstanding. Like, yeah, I caught all those fish. How about that? 
check me out. I'm, an, I'm awesome. But also he is. He, he does know how to do these things. He has real valuable skills that they might not survive if he wasn't a good hunter and fisherman. and tra- So even though I think he thinks a lot of himself, I think he wishes he was leading this thing mm-hmm. and has the skills to do it, he isn't in the leadership role. So there's a lot of interesting play between him and Powell of you couldn't do this if I wasn't here, but also I respect you because because of who you are and the skills that Powell also brings to the table. So that right in the hierarchy that they have exactly, all agreed to exactly right? yep. So I'm really interested in some of the things that you mentioned about the sort of mansplaining and kind of showing off and yet having value and. I just, I feel like this is not, this is like a real male way of being in the world. Tell me if I'm wrong about that. But I personally, walking around as Tamara, wouldn't feel comfortable walking into a room and saying the equivalent of, hey, I caught all these fish. I'm so awesome. (laughs) Does everyone agree? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like- Don't you all agree? Don't you all agree? (laughs) Yay for me. (laughs) Clap for me now. Right, right. Right. Um, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that and I can't think, I, I just, so, so this is what I'm really interested in is, you know, what it's like to perform that experience on stage. And because most people I know, except for sort of the manly men don't do that very often. And I'm not saying that they should or shouldn't do it or that, you know, everyone shouldn't be able to do it, but I'm just saying it doesn't occur as frequently And what does that do for us as actors and then people who are in the real world? You know what I mean? It's like, what are you taking from this experience out into the world? Fun with that. Yes, that's a great point. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that that has been brought up because that is sort of a transformative um, element of the arts that I that I so appreciate. And that's so true. Even the other day, I was sitting out at a cafe or something and just listening to a sort of, yeah, there's a stereotypical cis man talk. I was like, oh, if this is actually where I got the idea of mansplaining, because Mm -hmm. it just the way that our culture is, again, which gives particularly cis white men permission to be however they want in the world. Right. And and that never being questioned. And you think about, I think someone also did have questions of like, how do I sit in the show? I was like, well, just think about if you're on a bus or a plane and the man next to you has his knee, has his knee and his elbow all in your space because that's that's the permission that particularly cis men to have take gotten. Up space. To take up space. Manspreading. Yeah. Manspreading, yeah. mansplaining, all of this. That's that's true. And I, and I hope that there are, you know, that we get some... That again, that this is cracking open awareness. Many people do have this awareness, but I feel like in mainstream domain, we can't say those type of things. Like, oh, when and when we do say those things, oh, men take up space. You know, there's backlash to it. So it is a beautiful experience to be like, yeah, I'm great. <laughs> I'm great. I can take up space. <laughs> I can yes. take up space. Yeah, it's it's a it is a cool experience. That yeah, I'd say part you know folks who are socialized as women, folks you know, um, um, and any other sort of marginalized identity don't get the same permission that cis white men get. And so there is it, it, it's a really it's a really beautiful experience and and just really fun as well. Because there's a difference between awareness and being able to enact it. 
Like right. you, you, we can point to it, but sometimes that's the extent. Right. right. We get told, take up space all the time. Mm-hmm. You have a right to take up space. And we're like, okay, sure. <laughs> how, how do I do right. that? How do I do that? Right. Yeah. Right. And now, and, and so what I like are these ideas of, of, you know, permission. So permission granted, right? All 10 actors, do your thing up there, the way you do it, the way you think it would be done to inhabit these characters. But I think it's also an invitation then to the audience to maybe take some of that into their own daily lives. It's like, they can do it. I can do it. It can be done. You know what I mean? It's there's, there's more fluidity. There's more flexibility in the way that we can be in the world. And I don't know, every time I inhabit a character on stage, it just really opens up access points for me about, I just think I'm a certain way. When I'm a different way on stage, then that expands like who I can be. And so I love this opportunity that you all have to to walk around in a different pair of shoes, you know? One thing I've noticed in me in the past month, and I think this is all baby steps. Like you, you get, have the permission and then it's another thing to actually take the step and try to do it in your life. And then one step leads to the next. One of the victories for me in the past month was just going back and forth over email with somebody about when I'm available and you know, typical Mara, what I would do is, well, I could do it and I could in it with some notice. I could. And all I, I was like, no, stop. 10 to 3, 9 to 11. This is when I'm available. Instead of making it this whole song and dance and like, oh, apologizing for having a life and a job. And like, mm-hmm. no, I'm available when I'm available. Clear cut. Boom. That felt, maybe it sounds dumb, but that felt like a huge victory. Yeah. And the other person, they weren't offended by that. They didn't, they weren't looking for some explanation for when I'm available. It's like rowing the boat without (laughs) thinking about how you look rowing the boat, right? It sounds like you've had a lot of interesting conversations in rehearsal, including the sort of astrological breakdown. But can you talk (laughs) about some of these conversations that you've had, perhaps around inclusivity or world building or anything like that that would be helpful for us to know about? You know, there was a nice setup, you know, through the casting note. And so, you know, we can assume that anybody who saw that casting note that said specifically non-cis white men, um, you know, that brought them to the show. Um, I feel like I would have appreciated um, even a bit more intentionality around that throughout the the process as far as, far as again, sort of the end goal is that it doesn't matter and we can't all be in these roles but having a look at the ways that gender and gender expression shows up and um, what dynamics might be working with, with each other, for example, cisgender, you know, um, and perhaps in, in queer circles, wherever that there's a common understanding of a sort of a difference between cisgender and transgender. But I think that's an assumption. And I don't think there's a problem with sort of getting everybody on the same page. So what does it mean to say that we're going to have non-cis white men? I feel like it just helps if it, it would help to say, you know, cis, someone sort of who who identifies with the sex or gender they're assigned at birth and somebody who is trans um, doesn't have that same alignment. And that's a different experience in the world. And again, it's just being real about our different experiences um, and how we've been given permission to exist. Mm. I appreciate this 
play in this process on so many levels. And I'm always open as, as a, a transgender queer person, I'm always open to more intentional conversations around uh, existence um, of, of, uh, of gender and expression. And do you think a deeper investigation of that would have helped the conversations off the stage, like build relationships off stage, on stage, in the final product? Like what, how would that have played out, do you think? To me, and it might not feel the same way to others, but it, to me it would have felt empowering mm-hmm. of just knowing, of just knowing that this, this, this is revolutionary. This is, again, counter-dominant, counter-narrative to generally we only, only have cis white men representation, but we, we are overturning that. Um, in it's as female identifying people, as genderqueer, as folks of color, we, we get to, to do something different. And, and again, that's not an opportunity that we get every day. And we also get to, to share it with, with, with lots of people. So it's, that's exciting. And I, yeah, I would be always open to having more of those conversations, um, everywhere. This is a little bit in a different direction, but I'm always curious about this. What was it like to choreograph all those river scenes? Because when reading the script, I was like, oh, my God. I remember the first time I read the script, I was like, how many times do they say, like, line and left and the same same series Mm -hmm. of words in different order? And so talk to me about that. River scenes. First, just big thanks to Denise, who is our choreographer. Mm -hmm. So she conceptualized what this would look like. So so much credit goes to her for helping us figure out how to do these things. But yeah, wow. <laughs> the boat scenes were were a beast. And that's pretty much what we spent almost the first two weeks right. just doing the boat scenes, um, trying to figure out where we are in space and yet like listening for your cue line, which could just be the word line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And and you know, and figuring out how to react and it yeah, it's a very physical show. And another factor of the show is it's so ensemble. Almost every scene has almost every character. So particularly all these boat scenes, it's the full cast. And it, it, it becoming this organism that moves right. and breathes together was like mandatory to making it hopefully read from the audience. How did you become a unit of 10? I'd say I'm very impressed with us. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, because, just the, yes, the... Um, the sinking, um, and because again, we can we all row differently, sort of have our own take in it, but we're all on the same river, so we have to be experiencing the same thing. Um, so yes, again, props to Denise for giving us uh, the guidance of like what happens when there's a rapid, what happens when it's calmer water, what happens when it's it's really panicky, or we're going down a waterfall again, just sort of yeah, drilling. I mean, I'd say you know, we started at the beginning of January and to get to where we are now. Um, yeah, we've done a lot of work around it, just drilling like what it is it like to have these same experiences. So when you look back at this experience of being in the show and getting ready to open, what, what have you learned from this process? This show would have been incredibly hard to do if we didn't all really like each other. Mm-hmm. You know, again, the true ensemble nature of it if there's somebody who like isn't participating or isn't like fully invested, it would not work. So, you know, I love that 
my perception, like there aren't egos in the cast. It's like, yeah. we all are doing this together mm-hmm. and it takes everybody in fully investing to pull it off. So I think that just speaks to the, you know, wonderful people that we get to do this work with and the intention that all went behind it. And I'm just, I'm very grateful yes. for that. So props to the other eight actors and to Jules. Is Mara the mm-hmm. AD? Yep. Yep. And to everybody. I know that you've got some great designers mm-hmm. as well on board. And Katie Coop all day. Katie oh, Coop Oh, Katie Quinn. Coop. Yes. Yep. Our, our stage management yes. team is like exceptional. Quinn and everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any, any big learning takeaway for you? Oh. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, definitely, certainly as a person newer to the Triangle, um, auditioning, I, yeah, I've never met any of these people before, really. Um, maybe, you know, one or two experiences here and there. And so that's, yeah, that was nice to feel so welcomed into, into um, a creative community. I'd say, yeah, underlying, if I'm just going to be vulnerable for a second, Anxiety for me is I've been about nine months on testosterone. So I've actually been experiencing like voice fluctuations throughout this whole process and trying to get adapt to a new voice as I'm in a performance has definitely been a very interesting experience. And then beautifully, it's been a very wonderfully affirming experience of just like, yeah, you're whatever, you know, <laughs> like your voice is whatever, you sound fine. I mean, I have to work on volume. Lower pitches are sort of harder to project. But um, again, what is, you know, wonderfully baked into this show is 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 that experience of that you can you can just be as you yeah. are. And it's really nice. It's really nice. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think is important to mention? Um, completely the bromance between Dunn and Powell. That's what I was just this thinking. Is, okay, this okay, is wait. Where, I mean, this <laughs> is just a joke that was supposed to be for you to cut okay. in floor style. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We spend a lot of time in rehearsal talking about the how Dunn and Powell are completely in love with each other. And it's, that it's wonderful. That seem... <laughs> Out of bounds, you know what I mean? Right, of course. right, right. right. Yeah. It has definitely built a relationship between Faye and me, uh-huh. which other people get to participate in, like, oh, you too. Yeah. Right. Which is something that's, yes, like, I'm the, yeah. Stop the making key. it weird in our boat. <laughs> yes, I'm already the third wheel. <laughs> yes, um, yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Again, just like breaking down. Any assumptions around gender, sexuality, it's what, yeah, because uh, my wife, like my, you know, which is fine in queer communities, but folks who don't exist in those worlds are like, wait, (laughs) that um, person who we perceive to be a woman or more femme or whatever just said wife, like, you know, there are things that are getting broken down and and, and are opening conscientiousness for, for, you know, others, perhaps. In the cast, we just live it every day. Right, right. <laughs> but it's not pe- a thing. Right, it's not a thing. Yeah. But there are people who are like, huh. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's fun, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting to bump up against things that that aren't a thing. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I, I think oftentimes I'm in the world and I, I see some weird news story where people are making a meal out of something that I'm just like, this is not a thing. Like, this is just people being people. And I just love an example of that being lived out on stage. It's it's so, as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, you know, when I first sat down and, and saw this production, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, how quirky it is. And then like 
20 minutes later, I was, I was, that was so far behind. It wasn't about that. It was about people having access to the story, telling a story and embodying these characters in a way that was authentic to them. And I feel like that really opened my eyes to, to all of the things that we're talking about of the stories that we tell in 2019 about what happened in 1869 like, <laughs> and that those stories can change and morph and we can change and morph along with them. So it's very empowering yeah. in that way. And it's, it doesn't feel antiquated or antique, despite mm. the fact that, I mean, I know you all do use some language from that time period, but also contemporary language as well. And so it, it definitely gives us the sense that these time streams are merged, yeah. right? Because we're talking about something that happened then, but we're talking about it now. Thank you so much for being here and for having this conversation. I can't wait to see the show. I'll put all the good links and etc. in the show notes. And I wish you both a breaking of the legs. Tonight. Thank you, Thank Tamara. You. Thank Thanks you. very much. Artist Soapbox is a listener-supported podcast. Please support the podcast via our Patreon page, patreon.com slash artist soapbox. For more information, go to our website, artistsoapbox.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. All of this information is in the show notes. Artist Soapbox music is composed by Bart Matthews. Thanks so much, and we're out. <laughs>